Akura de la Halle, this is Carol. Akuriave, this is Selena. Oh my god, after long six months of mandatory confinement, I'm finally free! Or all Colombians are finally free. What do you mean by free? Well, we had one of the longest confinements during this pandemic, and it was very strict. In a nutshell, we couldn't travel unless you have a permit, and if you were stopped, you could get fined. So the restriction was pico y cedula. So basically what it meant, if your ID number ended at, on an even number, you could only go out on the odd numbers and vice versa. There, there were like police everywhere checking. If there is more than two, three people in your car, you could be, in, you could be a stop and get fined as well of the confinement. It was very strict. But yes, we are finally free. I don't know to what extent though, because people are still very afraid of getting sick. But it's just nice to feel like we are not trapped in our homes. So yeah, this is a very good news to start our, our podcast today. Well, that's fantastic. I remember you telling me some stories and I was very like surprised because you know, I'm here in the States and honestly, they are trying to confine us and stuff, but it's not working or people are just like, no, it's not going to happen because you can't take away my rights. So what happened in your country would definitely never happen here. But that is cool that you guys now have more freedom instead of having to go on certain days. Because I remember you were pulled over for taking your dogs to the vet with just you and your mom. And that like so surprised me because like I was just like, what? <laughs> okay, so yay, I'm excited for you. Yeah, and this actually ties a little bit with our episode uh, today. But before we go into that, I just want to welcome you officially, episode number four. This podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Corps or the U.S. government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for informational purposes only. And to allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Corps tales from RPCVs, let's get to our tale for today. She actually met our invitee in her host country last year, very randomly in a little coffee shop. So I want to welcome our invitee. Hello, hello. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. My name is Chanel and um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Panama. And I was there from 2019 to 2020. And I worked in a, in a small, well, kind of small town called Anton. And so a lot of people actually get confused because there's a really big um, tourist attraction in the Valle de Anton, which is like a valley. It's a town that's um, on the on like a volcano crater. So mine is not that. <laughs> I was in the uh, like the head of the district, which is called Anton. And my community, when I first got my documents with the information, it said that it had 10,000 people, which is huge for a Peace Corps volunteer, but it really, I feel like it was 5,000 um, because I couldn't, you know, talk to everybody. So my community, the people that I was around a lot were, it was around 5,000. And I am a TELS, well, I was a TELS volunteer and TELS stands for Teaching English Leadership and Life Skills. So it's a little bit different than TELF. TELF is just teaching English. TELS is half of it. You work, you do like anything related to teaching English. And then the other half, you focus on 
life skills like things like emotional intelligence or professional development, personal development. So let's just dive into Chanel's story. And as you heard, um, she served for roughly a little bit over a year uh, or a year. And unfortunately, her service was called short because of the pandemic. So we're going to touch a just a little bit on it. So Chanel, can you please tell us um, how was just the whole situation? You know, like how long do you have to pack and say your goodbyes? And how was this news communicated to you? We had very little time. We were keeping track, and by we I mean like all the Peace Corps volunteers in Panama. We were kind of seeing how um, other countries were being evacuated and what was happening and just everything that was happening around the world. Some volunteers were already like, they already knew we were going to be evacuated. I didn't think we were. Um, I actually had talked to my program manager before and she told me that we would get consolidated before we would get evacuated. Like she, she said we wouldn't get evacuated. So I kind of, you know, relaxed a little bit, but it was back on my mind. The first thing that kind of set everything off was I had an event. I had like a really big program happening on Friday and on Wednesday, we, I, it was canceled. I got a phone call and it was canceled because just because I think already there was some cases in Panama, I believe maybe just like five, but they didn't want people from the city to go into the smaller towns in the country. They were going to have to travel to my site from the city. And so they canceled that. And then that was on Friday. So on Sunday, I was with my community members. I just had a feeling. <laughs> it was just like a weird gut feeling. And I was with my community members the whole time. It was like 8 p.m. And um, we were just sitting there. And I got a phone call from a friend who was told that we were going to get evacuated and she was crying and for me I, I kind of, I got the phone call but it was kind of breaking up and I was kind of just like thrown thrown at like off the good thing is that I was with my community members with them as it was happening so they kind of understood the severity and they were in shock too so I wasn't alone I was with them and they were in shock and I was in shock and I was able to say goodbye to them which were like one of the most important people in my community for me and I was able to say bye to people that have taken me like where they took me in as family they would say like I was like their adopted daughter and stuff so I was with them for about an hour and the thing is that when we were told that we were getting evacuated they were like they were telling us that we needed to evacuate like that night <laughs> and it was 8 p.m and it's just you know from being in like rural communities it's hard to get out after 5 6 p.m so but for them to say, like, just find a, anyone that can take you, will reimburse you, like, just find whoever can take you to the city. I feel like that was very drastic and just very, like, serious. Um, it spoke to the severity of how they were feeling and everything. But so I didn't leave that night. I went home. I talked to my host family because I lived on their land. So I lived kind of with them, but on my own um, house. And I talked to them and... My host family also had taken me in, you know, like more than just a host daughter. Like I, I felt very close to them. And so they were also in shock and it was just, they're older. So it's like the grandparents, they're very like calm and just very like, okay. You know, like, I don't know. It was just, it was comforting to be with them. So then we, I went home and I packed and I didn't finish packing until 3 a.m. And the thing is that like, I was 
I was kind of like, what should I take? Um, I guess I take everything. And so I basically completely like took everything off my walls and just completely took everything off and put it in bags. And um, it was weird. It was like very um, like surreal and confusing. And so by 3 a.m. I had showered and I was in my bed trying to have some, you know, get some rest. And so I woke up around 7 a.m. and I couldn't even cook for myself. I couldn't make breakfast for myself. I was so disoriented. And so my host family, they made they made food for me. And um, they did the bus station, the bus stop on the highway, like right on my community. It was just weird because I, from my community, from the, the stop where I was waiting for the bus, I could see exactly where they had dropped me off a year before. And it was just a very weird like moment where you see who you were and how you felt when you were there when they dropped you off because when they drop you off you also feel very disoriented and very nervous and stuff <laughs> so it was just like a very weird like kind of kind of full circle moment so yeah then i left and i didn't get to say bye to basically any teacher that i had worked with i didn't i messaged them on on whatsapp but i didn't get to say bye to them in person and just so many people that took care of me and that helped me and that you know, just everything, literally everything. They just took care of me and I could not thank them personally. Um, so then I went to the city that Monday. So that we were told Sunday night, Monday morning, I was um, on my way to the city with other volunteers. And then we got to the hotel. And then that evening I was given my itinerary and Tuesday morning around 5 a.m. we were on our way to the airport and I landed in Miami at like 10 a.m. on Tuesday and um, then I landed in Dallas uh, on Wednesday so it was like a um, very quick turnaround like 48 hours basically of your like life completely drastically changed and so yeah that's kind of the condensed version <laughs> I can't even imagine because when I was preparing to leave my side I honestly cried for a full month and I'm not, I'm not lying about this. Selena knows I'm a big crier. So when that month came, I don't know what took over me. And every single day I cried for whatever reason. Even if I was gonna miss the annoying chickens I always do in my kitchen, or, you know, like saying bye to my host dad who I love with all my heart. So I can even picture what you went through. And thank you so much for sharing that because as painful as it, as it is, it's obviously part of your service. This may be a little bit too personal, but if you want to share a bit, a little bit about how you are coping, about how this whole situation actually changed you in so many different ways. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned like about your host dad because I had a very like good relationship with my host dad and he's older too. And so just like there was things we were planning on doing, like things that now being back in the US, I kind of like, stop and think like oh my gosh like we were gonna do this or this is gonna happen or i remember sitting with him and talking about nothing um yeah i feel like the way at first like the first month i there's it was like a blur i don't remember a lot of it um the first like weeks the first even just the first week i would wake up and i would feel like i was dreaming so i would like wake up and in hopes of waking up in panama 
And I always, we, me and my friends describe it as like a really bad breakup that doesn't end. Like the feeling, it lingers. It's just like a lingering feeling. And so it was like really one of the worst breakups of my life. <laughs> and the good thing is that it wasn't with a guy. It was with like, you know, people that were awesome. <laughs> so yeah, first it was just a lot of like, sitting and like just kind of because your brain has to adapt to like this new reality and like I didn't have that time like you were saying you had moments you had months to prepare to like okay this is what's coming next I'm leaving this and just maybe even slowly detach yourself emotionally from things and I we didn't have that and so yeah it's been difficult I think I always feel like six months is a good time frame and um we're reaching that six months now and uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be six months since we were evacuated. So I definitely feel better now, and I've, I've come to terms with it, and I, now I feel grateful for everything that happened. I'm glad that we were evacuated just because of the of the nature and why we were evacuated. You know, it's for a pandemic. I'd rather be at home with my family. But uh, yeah, at first, it was just a lot of crying and a lot of just like sitting around, and I think I wasn't coping well, and I, I know some of my friends are still kind of in that like living in that moment so at first I was just kind of drifting kind of just like oh you know whatever like it was just like no there wasn't like a lot of stability because also we didn't just get evacuated we like came to like no jobs you know you're constantly a lot of what I was doing the first three months was just applying to jobs like trying to sell myself and it's weird because you are trying to sell yourself and say how excited you are to work somewhere but you are also dealing with like grieving it's weird it was like it was weird and so yeah but now now i've learned to cope better and i just like plan things and just look forward to things because it's not the end of the world it felt like the end of the world <laughs> but now you you know that there's so much more coming and um and just because of the pandemic you just feel like it's the end of the world so i just stopped listening to news i just like really focused on my well-being and my like mental health and just my um, whatever made me happy um, and just chose intentionally to just be happy and optimistic. So I can definitely understand how not having that time would be so drastic and jarring and especially not coming home to anything like a job because for me I came home knowing I was going to go to grad school in a month. And so for me, it was like a very easy transition where I went from like, okay, here's this chapter of my life. It's now been completed. I'm gonna start my master's and start this new chapter of my life. And that's honestly what helped me so much is be able to adapt back to the culture in the States and know that like, okay, my service is over. And what's strange is I know how you say it was a dream for you to wake up here in the States and you're hoping to be back in Panama. I feel like in the States, I wake up and I feel like Madagascar was a dream just because it's so different and so different from everything that no one really asked me about it that I feel, wow, like I know I did it, but I feel like it's just so far removed in, in the past that like I feel sometimes like, I feel like I dreamed my service. Just the fact that you said that like kind of really resonated with me because I do understand that, but I, I know I can't understand just how stressed out and like lost you felt. So thank you for sharing that. But to kind of go into a more like, upbeat area and just see why you joined Peace Corps to begin with. Uh, why did you join? 
Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this was part of the experience, and I, I would, you know, if I knew this was gonna happen, I was still would have joined. I joined because I wanted to get out of the U.S. <laughs> as I, as a lot of us want to. <laughs> um, I wanted to join to do something that was going to give me skills, and I was going to learn, you know, um, because I feel like Peace Corps. A lot of people think it's like not that serious or oh it's like fun but you actually gain a lot of skills you gain a lot of personal skills and a lot of professional skills and and I knew that and I wanted that and if if I could do that outside of the U.S. please <laughs> um, and the thing is I had applied when I was going to graduate university and I didn't get in so I went to Spain I applied to go to the DR, um, Dominican Republic, or to Peru as a youth development volunteer, and I wasn't um, invited. So then I, I went to Spain and I did some other job, um, and that gave me skills, or that made me more competitive, so then I reapplied. But, um, and then so I was finally, I was invited to go to Panama, and it was just, it was funny because Panama, like a lot of people, it's not in their radar, and the only thing they think about is like the canal. <laughs> um, and so it was amazing to go because even though like I have a like a Latin background, it was both like being in like something completely new, but um, home at the same time. Oh, well, that's that's really nice. I do want to ask, can you think back to when you were first packing to leave the States? Since you wanted to leave, I'm sure you're like, what can I take to leave this place as fast as possible? Uh, what was one item that you were so happy that you packed once you got to Panama? I actually have two, and, but in my headphones, I know that someone actually forgot their AirPods at home, <laughs> like in the U.S., and they were so upset. And so my headphones is like something very important because you're on public transportation. And I don't know how I was in Madagascar, but in Panama, they would blast music like <laughs> yes so they would blast music so just it was nice sometimes you wanted to be in that vibe but other times you just wanted to like zone out so and then also just a great non-stick pan just like a really good like pan that things won't stick to it and you can cook uh yeah so that is like random stuff that you would never think about but like it just makes a world you just it makes your life just so much better <laughs> Oh, nice. A nonstick pan. I don't think I thought about culinary stuff when I was back. No, I did actually, because I brought spoons and forks because I didn't know if they would have good ones. <laughs> yeah. And my, my mom was actually the one that was like, take this. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, you'll thank me. And yeah, she was right. Having a good nonstick pan. Yeah, it is really nice. I remember spending so much money in Madagascar to buy one because we actually could in the like jumbos that were there and I spent like a fortune to get one because I was like nope I'm gonna I'm gonna get my eggs and it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be good. Okay so the next one what was one item though like you packed those items that were really helpful but what's one item that you're like man I really wish I had brought this. So I feel like this is like basic but i really was sad that i didn't pack like a warm jacket <laughs> like so when you go to panama you think like tropical you know hot um humid and so there's parts there's mountains cold mountains in panama and we would go there sometimes for like either meetings or 
training in, um, I remember we had IST, we had our training in a mountain that was also on a volcano and I was freezing the whole time because also your body's used to like the hot, like the heat. And so not having like a, um, a jacket, like a good warm jacket, I was like, wow. And then the, you could go find one in Panama. Um, you could buy one, but you don't know where to find it. You have to go to the city and it's probably gonna be super expensive. So it's just better to just have that. And also it's weird, like I didn't pack swimsuits. I kind of was like, yeah, I'll find some in Panama, which there were, but good swimsuits also were expensive and you didn't, you didn't know what store to like, you know, you didn't know where the deal was. And so. Yeah, that is true. There are some of those items that you just can't find. Uh, Carol, do you remember what IST stands for? I know, like, we know what it is, but for our listeners, does anyone know what that stands for? Oh, it's um, in-service training. So it's like, yeah, so it's like right after your third months of being in sight, and you have kind of been accustomed to your community, and you kind of now know what maybe more training you need on that you didn't get during your pre-service training. So, yeah. Goodness, Carol, that was four years ago for us. Can you... Like, I just need to take a moment. <laughs> it's been a while. And actually, I want to go back to the warm jacket because it happened to me as well. I think I brought like a scarf and just like a thin jacket. And where we had our training in Madagascar in the Highlands. Oh my God. It's so cold. And actually during IST, because I had already got used to like the very hot weather and humid weather in my, in my site. When we went back to the Highlands, I had to like grab myself like a burrito with a blanket because I was cold the whole time and like drinking tea and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't bring a jacket. Like why would, why didn't I follow any of the suggestions? But anyways. <laughs> no, exactly. I also brought a scarf and that's all I brought for one. And no, I needed, cause it was cold, but it was also like wet. And it was just, I just needed better, better equipment. <laughs> and going back to acronyms, so PSC, which is pre-service training, can you please give us like a, like a best memory or highlight from your PSC? Oh gosh, PST. <laughs> there was a lot. I like to call it um, uncomfortable growth. I like that concept a lot. When with pre-service training, I, I, the highlight was just always like just learning, you know, everything is so new and you're just kind of like immersing yourself in something completely new. And so you're always learning stuff. Um, and I just love connecting because at first when you meet you, the people in your group, everyone is strange, you know, they're all strangers and you're just kind of like, who are these people? But then you realize how we're all literally like the same, like we all just, our, we're all scared and we're all excited and we're all hopeful and um, we so it was just really nice I remember being on the bus to the city for our training and it was like one of the first days it was probably like the third or fourth day and those during those days like you're still very like oh my gosh what have I done like um, I, I think I'm gonna leave like this is not for me and so everyone is thinking that but no one is saying it so finally when people start breaking and they start saying it and they you feel better because then you're like oh I'm not alone like I actually am scared too or I'm actually excited or whatever and so that was like a highlight I will never forget like bonding with people over just like our 
not just like our fears, but like just like our dreams. And something else that I will never forget is just like uh, learning how to wash clothes by hand. And my host mom during uh, my pre-service training, she would teach me and she would, and they would just laugh at me, you know, my host family. They would just laugh because it's such a foreign concept to us, but it's like literally their like day, <laughs> their daily lives. Um, I mean, not everyone washes their clothes by hand, but people, some people still do. And so it was just funny. Like, it's just memories like that of like doing things that are so foreign. And for them, it's just like normal and them laughing about it and you're just kind of messing up and just just being like, a good sport about it too, not being, not taking it so serious because it's not that serious, you know, it's just, it's just what it is. Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned during PSC you're trying to meet all these people and it, I feel it's like a social experiment, right? Because you get to know people that you'd have never met people otherwise and, and it was like, I'm going to go a little, just a tiny bit into this because uh, like I mentioned before, I'm Colombian, so through all the whole, all the years I live in the States, I never really had people that were Caucasians. All my friends were either Latino or like first generation or second generation and always spoke Spanglish. So this was the very first time in my entire life that I live in the States that was, it was like a double immersion. So I was immersed in Malagasy culture and I was immersed in white culture and I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, oh my God, I don't know who I'm gonna be friends with. A lot of things were so foreign to me, like some games and some things that we'll say and some dancing and they did winking. And I was like, what is happening? Like, that was like a whole, that whole another layer for me personally. And I think Chanel also resonates with that quite well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can only agree <laughs> because it was like being in the States, I've, um, I've lived here since I was eight. So I grew up in Mexico. Um, and just being in the States, I had to like just cope and reimmerse myself or immerse myself in that culture. And then, but you, you know, the U S is so big that you only like, you don't get, there's so much that you still don't get depending on where you live, depending on who you're with. And yeah, exactly. When I, this was my first time that, um, I did have white friends, um, and I, I still do, like, you know, I, I do have friends that are Caucasian, but now uh, with Peace Corps, like, being with mostly surrounded by um, white colleagues, yeah, it was definitely an experience. And it was just interesting, like, yeah, there's some, some stuff that I didn't know about, some games or just songs or something that I would be like, what? <laughs> but it, it also just pushed me to, like, break so many stereotypes that the U.S. like pushes um, not just of like black and brown people, but of white people, too. And so it just like opened my eyes and showed me stuff about myself, um, of how I would feel oh, with white people that now like I am I'm better for it. Um, so but yeah, it's I it's cool that you also kind of had that experience. Yeah, there was one time that I actually called in gringos by mistake and I, I had to pay for that for the rest of my service. <laughs> okay, so moving along. 
So pre, uh, pre-service training is very intense, right? Because you are training after training and then you're getting to know this culture. So we would like to know what were your living conditions throughout this period of, of your service? Um, yeah, so living conditions during pre-service training, we're all together in one community. And so there was 20, of, 20 or 19 of us in the community. And um, everyone is living with their own family but we're like walking distance from each other so we like cling to each other because it's just such a new experience but we we also like try to spend we're we're supposed to spend more time you know with our host families than with each other so it was like a even amount um and so for me specifically for me i had my my um host mom she was very acquainted with the whole process she had done she had hosted people for years like for so many years and um she had the cool thing was that she had like her house she had a room on the outside of her house for the volunteer and like i had my own key to my house or to my room so that was really nice because not everyone had that and you know you you were living inside the home the living conditions were it was hot and there was bugs everywhere and like but the thing is that like this is normal like literally the whole world is like this i feel like except like europe and like the us and canada or something you know but like the closeness to nature that i was experiencing is like the norm in so many places that it's like annoying how it's not like that <laughs> here um but i digress so yeah like the 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 living experience and just being with my host family, I was very close with them too. And because they were so used to having volunteers, they were like, at first, the like first six weeks or something, or the first like three weeks, I was just very disoriented, very like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? And they were very like, um, understanding of that. And they were very like, you're going to be fine. Like, you're going to be okay. And so like later they would even joke, like when you first got here, you weren't yourself, you were so quiet and now you won't stop talking and now you won't stop joking. And it was good. I really enjoyed living with them. They were great, um, a great host family. And they were just so fun to be with. They just like, just people, people in Panama are so fun. (laughs) It was just so much fun. Um, People, they just take everything so lightly and just laugh and I miss it. Pre-service training is a portion of your training and obviously from there you have to get ready to go to your site, right? Like now you're going to be releasing to this wild world. So we would like to know what was that transition like? What was it to leave your host family from PSD and then getting ready to go to Anton and how was those maybe very few uh, first weeks or months even? Can you give us a little bit more details about that? Yeah, so my transition was actually like overwhelming and it was difficult at first because I think it's difficult for everyone because we're literally bonded for life after being in service or in pre-service training. So then everyone gets everyone gets separated from each other and they get put in their own sites and their own communities. And so that's like one layer of just like, oh, I miss everyone. I love everyone so much. I miss them. <laughs> then... You're being in your, I was um, being immersed into this community and this community is huge. Like Anton, for a for a Peace Corps community, and I do like air quotes because the community is 
itself without Peace Corps. You know, it's the community is there without Peace Corps. The community in Peace Corps terms was is huge. It's very, very, very big. It has street names. Like there's communities that have one big street in, in, in that town. This one had different, they had like different little neighborhoods in the town. I was very overwhelmed because I, how do you like begin to say, hey, I'm a Peace Corps volunteer, I'm here, like love me and accept me and work with me, you know? So, and then my host family, I was their third volunteer that they were hosting. And so they were also kind of like my pre-service training family. Um, they were very like accustomed to the process and they were just like, okay, whatever, do what you want. Like, which is good now, but they weren't on top of me. Like other families will be on top of their volunteers. Like, like if you like move, they'll be like, what do you need? Where are you going? And so my family was literally the opposite where I could do whatever. And they would be like, okay. I remember when I would, I would want to just hang with them and like sit in the kitchen with them. And my host mom at first thought that I was hungry. So she I would go in there and like just sit and she would be like, oh, wait, are you hungry? Like and start kind of and I would just be like, no, I'm not. I'm not hungry. Like, I just want to chill with y'all. Like, l love me, you know, like. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was at first it was overwhelming because I felt like my host family didn't care about me or didn't like pay enough attention to me because I was like a newborn baby in this world. Like, so, yeah. And even my my professors they were also very um yeah distant distant yeah they were just very my professors were very like not distant but also like not super worried about me because the volunteer before me was very like just independent like she was kind of like i feel like i mean she was different of course because we're all different but she was very different than i want to be like surrounded with people and like hanging out with everyone and like having a great time um and so maybe they thought like okay all americans are kind of just like leave them alone kind of thing but the thing is that my host family ended up being amazing like they just i loved it i spent christmas with them like so i was with them and their family for days like we were just going on and on we were just together for days and they just like took me in as their own and i i still talk to them and they still want me to go back and like be with them and they like hope and pray that I come back and I just I, I can't describe the way the feeling of people being strangers to them it's just like so beautiful and it's just like yeah that's why even with the evacuation I would still go and do it again because of the relationships in the families that I have been adopted into. I do want to ask, so you were with a host family your whole service? You didn't have to live alone? So I was with my host family three months and then I was living on their property. So I was I was with my host family my whole service, but I had my own house on my, like, like they have big property. And so the first three months you had to be like with them. And then literally you would take five steps and then there was another house and that's where I was living. So if I ever needed anything, if I, if I like needed like an, an egg or like some butter or something, I could walk to their house and just be like, Hey, can I have an egg or something? Um, or at night, like if I didn't come home, you know, if I was, if I was coming, if the sun was going down and I wasn't home yet for some reason, my host mom would come to my house and yell, like, are you here? You know, like she would just yell through the window 
So I perfect setup, like the perfect setup, because you had your own space, your privacy. My I had my own kitchen, my you know just everything, but I was still with them. So it was like a security kind of setup. Like I was, I felt safe. It was just great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, that's really cool because I know for Madagascar we have to live alone. So we don't really have that like host family or anything. We're like introduced to who we're gonna work with, and then that's pretty much it. So that's really cool that you guys have like a host family that you actually had a good one, because <laughs> I'm sure it would have been way different if you didn't have a good one. Yeah, there's some stories of people that don't have, and it's just you just learn to cope. But yeah, there's people that don't have great experiences. But the thing is that yeah, we can move after, and everyone basically moves out after the first three months. So it's only temporary, but but yeah, I had it was great. Nice. Okay, so thinking upon those areas, what are three highlights throughout your service? Uh, whether they're accomplishments or just like really funny moments that you can recall. This is funny. I'll try not to talk too much, but so three highlights. Well, the first one that like what always comes to mind, and even now I still think about it a lot, is that in my house I had scorpions and I had spiders. And there was a time where my where the older volunteer that uh, was there before me, she would text me and just ask me or let me know like, hey, I had snakes. Um, there were snakes there twice in my house, so like, watch out. I never had snakes, thank God. <laughs> I thank for the evacuation. <laughs> the the it was a highlight because it just taught me about myself. Like, I would thank the scorpions and the spiders for going in there and just making me more aware. Just like, they just sharpen me, you know, it's weird, you know, but they just make you like, just better at life. <laughs> so now if I ever were to see, like now I see spiders, I'm like, whatever, you know, like it's literally no big deal. Like spiders do not care about you. <laughs> They're living their life, leave them alone. And so now my family's like, oh my gosh, kill them all. And I'm like, leave them alone. They're actually good. Like they eat the other bugs. And so, yeah, the scorpions, I still, you know, would, from afar, I don't feel fondly about scorpions like I do about spiders, but um, yeah, I had a lot of scorpions at my house and I would spray them or um, I would just like be, be careful, you know, and I would always keep my house clean and stuff, but so that was like a highlight, I guess, like a interesting highlight. <laughs> and then just coming to peace with the scorpions and the spiders and just having a relationship with nature because nature is in your face. That was just like a highlight. That was just something that I appreciated so much. Just being so close to either, um, I wasn't really close to the beach, but um, I was really just close to like being outside you know just spending time outside and like not it's not like polished like it's just nature and you're just in there and you just learn that the bugs are there with you and they don't care about you like that much so yeah and so an another highlight is like the patriotic patriotic parties and the events in my town were literally were amazing like we had yeah like we had like national tv come to our our town because of these events they were so big and people from all over Panama would come and the patriotic parties lasted literally all month they lasted all of November <laughs> and so school was still going on but basically like school was over because people would just be out all night um 
so yeah i really enjoyed that and it was just like a huge cultural experience that the thing the thing is that like you can have like events in your community or you can have events in your country of service but i had them like in my house like you know you i could walk out and there would be something happening and that's like not you know you have to travel to things and traveling is such a big deal like having to go you know you have to pack just like so much and all of that was taken away because it was in my town and it was just something like i if i didn't know something was going on someone could tell me like that evening and i could just go it was just like in a metropolitan city you know where there's all these events cool things happening but it wasn't it was a, a small town so that was a big 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 highlight and it lasted so long like i just that was like half of my service just like the cultural events and stuff that were happening in my town it was just like amazing so i'm very thankful for that and another highlight is just being with my teachers they just took me in as one of them and they just they just like made me feel part of the family and I, that's all that you can ever ask for just people taking you in and accepting you for who you are like yeah i just i'm still on my teachers like whatsapp group because i don't want to leave because literally not, none of what they say applies to me anymore but i just don't want to like miss out on because sometimes they'll joke on there and i'm just like oh my gosh i miss this because they're just so fun and they're just so caring so so yeah that's that's the highlights <laughs> Nice, great highlights. I definitely agree with your spider one. So I had like two spiders. One of them was a roommate at one point and the other one like lived in my shower area and I watched it grow <laughs> from like a baby to like a huge banana spider until eventually one of the kids stole it to eat it and I was oh really gosh. bummed. <laughs> that's so funny. That's yeah, and that's how it is. Like you just like learn to just be with them and like it's no big deal anymore. Yeah, exactly. What was your top WTF moment? It can either be something super hilarious, something horrifying, or just something of like, what just happened? Yeah, there's a lot of those too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in outside my house, like literally outside of my house, there's a mango tree. And I would have um, my host family's big part of land. They It's like, um, it has a fence, but it's always open so people can come in and come in and out and so horses would walk in and start eating mangoes off the tree like right in front of my house and it's just like one of those moments where you're like huh <laughs> like this is this is funny <laughs> this is like it just reminds you that you're in Panama <laughs> you know it just reminds you that you're not in the U.S. Um, but another like really crazy moment was carnavales so in Panama they celebrate um, carnivals right before Lent I believe if I'm if I'm not mistaken Carnavales was crazy. It was like we went to like the most popular place to go in the whole country and literally the whole country goes to this area um, called Los Santos and um, they have like floats, huge floats with queens and dressed up and um, parades and stuff and people dancing and so it was just something that I had never experienced before in my entire life. Like, I cannot like explain how off, how different this was from anything I've ever experienced. I mean, I guess with parades, like in the US, like it's, um, it can be kind of like that, but this is just like another level of craziness. Like 
they do something where they throw culecos, which culecos are like water. And it's like a hose, like a water hose. And they're just spraying people with water. So like you can't take, you, you're going to be drenched. And when they were telling me about it, I thought, oh, it'll be like a little mist. You know, it'll just be like a little bit of water here and there. No, it was like you're showering. <laughs> yeah, that was like crazy. And at night too, the like the discotecas, the like clubs were outside, um, which was cool, which was really cool. And then they would also throw water. And so you would be like, it was like a rave, kind of. I've never been to a rave, but that's why I imagine a rave to be. But just the flair of like the reggaeton and just like the Latin flair, it just it's, it's, it was so fun. Um, and so yeah, and just like an, like other WTF moments that are kind of like more subtle is just like being in public transportation and like just thinking like, wow, either like this is where I'm I'm here like just looking at the scenery and just being like I'm really here like I'm really living living and doing this um or like something crazy there was sometimes where like people with chickens would like get be in the bus the chicken was in like a box because they were gonna like take them to fight or something like I don't know so things like that it's just random things that but you like love them and you like learn to just be like okay whatever like you know you at first you might be like <gasps> Oh my gosh but then you know you're clenching your pearls but then you're like yeah it's whatever no big deal oh my goodness yes uh, i know public transportation one for carol and i they would blast the gospel music so it's just this like oh my god like really loud blaring hard to sleep through kind of thing and then yeah animals always animals so I saw goats under chairs I saw goats on top of the luggage like on top of the bus there is uh, so many actually it became like a thing I think in Madagascar we took pictures of people with their pet chickens because they would carry them everywhere and so <laughs> it was always so fun because you're like what's the most bizarre thing you could see with a guy and his chicken <laughs> That's that's so funny you mentioned that because we actually made a um, Instagram account of chickens. It's not we don't do it anymore, but we would take photos because chickens are so interesting. Like I didn't realize chickens are complex and <laughs> they're very cool to look at and just I yeah I don't know, but that's funny you you mentioned that about chickens. Yeah. Uh, so next question, what was your like, OMG, this is why I joined Peace Corps moment? Oh my gosh, yeah. So I first, um, like, okay, I met this host family because I would walk by their house a lot. And um, the, the grandma needed help for her grandson with uh, classes, with English classes. And I don't know how they knew that I was like one of the teachers, one of the English teachers there. Like, I have no idea, but they stopped me and they were like, hey, can you help? Can you help them uh, tutor my my grandson? And I was like, yeah, like, why not? You know, I'm, that's what I'm here for. Like, that turned out to be the family where I explained where I was when I was getting evacuated. They turned out to be like the closest like family that... I think even closer than my host family and I was really close to them but um so that relationship came out of nothing like just of like tutoring the child um but like the the moment the oh my gosh mo oh my gosh moment for me is like I would go on runs 
And so they would, I would have to pass their house to like go on my run. And they would stop me like mid run and they're like, here, have some food <laughs> or like talk to us. And I would not say no to them just because like, I just knew the food was going to be so good and they were just going to be great. Like, and they understood they would like, or they, I would be like, oh, okay, I'm running. I'll come back. And they're like, okay, come back. And so I remember one of the last meals I had with them, I had just completed like, I don't know, like a really long run. And I got to, um, I got to their, I got to their house and they gave me like the most delicious, like fish, fried fish with, um, yuca. And it was just like delicious. And so that's like the reason why like Peace Corps is so special. Like you develop relationships out of, you know, your work, but it just doesn't stay just with work. You like become family and just you become part of the community oh i i can go in a whole another episode for this podcast podcast <laughs> talking about community and host family and just being part of them yeah i can relate 100 and actually i had the pleasure to live in panama for six months so i i do relate with a lot of things that chanel is um telling i because i i did love in i did live in a smaller community it's called penonome So it was also like almost like a city kind of thing, but I did work in a lot of rural communities. So this the idea of a compound for the family, that's fantastic. Where one house is for the family, the other house is for the, bro the son that has his own family. So that's, that's really, really cool. And actually, Panama is very similar to Colombia in many ways, and I do love their food. What was that favorite dish for you, Chanel? And did you learn how to make it? I really love patacones. Um, in some places it's called tostones. I don't know what it's called in Colombia. Yeah, I learned how to make that and, because it's not super hard. I think you just gotta like know how to make it. And so I don't make it here just because I haven't gone out of my way to find um, platano uh, maduro, I think it is. No, I think that's different. That's for something else, yeah. But I haven't gone out of my way to find the platano and so, um, Yeah, patacones is just like a comfort food, <laughs> I feel like. And so also I had um, something that was really delicious is bollos de coco. And so bollos is kind of like a tamal. It's like corn paste made made like in the... Okay, let me see if I can explain this. It's corn and it has... It can either be corn or this specific one is made out of coconut. And then somehow you make it into like a mush and then you put it in a leaf and cook it. And so it comes out, it, like I said, it's like a tamal, but it doesn't have anything inside like tamal, tamales would. And it was so good because it's sweet and it's like dense and so good. Oh, I miss it. <laughs> and then um, something else that was really, really good is camarones al ají, which is like shrimp um, in like a garlic sauce. <gasps> and that is, delicious because it's fresh over there it's fresh and it's just it's just i guess after being at the beach or something it just tastes so much better you know so yeah those were some of my favorite things but i do want to make some patacones yeah i love patacones tostones every single version of the plantain is just delicious and i did live with a host family in penonome too so my host mom the, the moment i told her i love patacones I had it in my meal every single day for the time I did with her. I was in heaven. I was like, oh my God, so good. so good. So good. 
So being peaceful, right? Like you learn to do all these chores that you didn't know you had to before. So what was one thing that you learned um, and you thought it was like really fun to complete? Or either like complete opposite that was super hard and you really dread to do that. Okay, so one of the chores um, was just, I I mean, just living at home um, or living with my host family, like in my house, I guess. Um, I didn't have to like wash things by hand, so that was good. But I really loved like putting the clothes on the clothesline and just seeing the clothes like on the line. I, I just loved that so much. I felt like it was like very... Um, what's the word like peaceful and just like calming for me to do and I I don't know what it was about it and the thing is that like the sun was so hot that your clothes would be dry in like two hours you know yeah I I love doing that for some reason it was like something a chore that I loved I got like I was able to kind of get the the way to do it like the you know everything has like their own it has like its own process and its own style so I just learned like, okay, you put the little clips on your shirt and then you put your some clothes on over your shoulder <laughs> and then you just grab the shirt or clap, grab whatever clothes and then you get the clips from your shirt and stuff. So I don't know. I just love doing that. That was like a chore that I just love to do. And especially like the sheets, the bed sheets, just seeing them like flowing with the air is just so nice. <laughs> and then just having my like cleaning my house and then letting the breeze in from the just you know because you always have like the windows open and the doors open and just having that like breeze come in um and having everything done by like four or five so that you could shower and not do anything more not sweat anymore <laughs> like it's just like small things that you just feel like ah this feels so nice <laughs> I think this score boils down to the little things that you learn to love. 100%. Just the daily little things that is like, wow, this is why this score makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so changing just a little bit the subject, um, how do you feel like peace, your peace score experience has helped you professionally? Oh, it's, it's done wonders. <laughs> I feel like you get out of it what you want. Um, and that's with so many things, you know, in life. But for me, so it gave me, it. I already came in with skills, you know. So it just sharpened those skills. It just, like, helped me develop more of those skills. And, but I also, like, learned how to do, like, project development, how to, like, assess the situation and see what, like, the community needs. Um, you know, you, like, you're not supposed to just go in and be like, all right, this is what we're going to do, everyone, get with the program. You, like, figure out what, like, their, the need is and what people want. Um, and so you learn how to, like, execute projects and work with people and work with different levels of people. You just learn to be flexible. You, like, that's, like, a skill that you, like, need to really work on. I feel like you can be flexible, but it's different. Peace Corps is another level. Um, and so I also, something that really I learned, and not just professionally, but like personally, I just learned the importance of community, like the importance of like having like your school being a community for the kids and for the teachers, the town being a community with everyone, 
um, that you need a community as a person, you know, wherever you are. Um, and then that the importance that people need to know who you are and that you need to like have conversations, you know, not just for the like sake of the community, but just, it just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's sometimes in the U.S. we're so kind of like, we don't um, worry about everyone, anyone else, but yourself or, you know, in your family, which is valid. You know, you want to focus on yourself and your family. But I, I also feel like sometimes some things that I would notice is like, you just learn and you gain the skill to talk to anyone, like to not worry about what they're wearing, what they're, what phone they're using, what their status might be. And you just learn that, or like if they might be different than you, I feel like in the US we're so scared of being with people that are different than us. And at least in Panama, you like, that's not a thing. You just talk to whoever and you, and you like, anyone you respect everyone you just like talk to them like you know you have that like humanity um with them so yeah i was able to just refine like personal skills and just professional skills like um because i already came in with like organizational skills communication skills things like that but you just refine them and also for me um i came in with like really well really good level of spanish um, but I was able to develop it even more, like so many professional words that you just don't know because you don't speak professionally in the U.S. in Spanish unless you're like, I don't know, like a Spanish professor or something. So there's so like so much vocabulary that I gained that is really important as a professional. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And yes, I do agree with the whole like. Because Madagascar was also a very communal kind of environment where like anything that you owned is not yourselves, it's everyone's kind of thing, which was a little hard of a lesson for a lot of volunteers and myself included, because I was just like, I needed my bucket and now it's gone forever. <laughs> yeah, I do agree with everything that you just said. It definitely teaches you those kind of points and just to be more open-minded and look at people as a person rather than like everything else. Because I remember when I came back to the States, I still had that mentality. And then I went to grad school and I was like, oh, great, another community. Like, I'm going to be with them for two years. And then like chatting with them and stuff, I felt like I was a weirdo trying to be like, oh, hey, what's your Facebook? Like, hey, like, can we connect kind of thing? And they were always like at first because they didn't really know me. It was our first day of meeting and they're just like, uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I do that. Even when I first got back, I would just say hi to people on the street. <laughs> like where I'm living um, right now, my family, with my family, they there's a lot of construction going on, and I know that they are like most likely Latin people that are on the, working these um, construction sites. And so like I would just be like buenas, you know, like buenos dias or whatever. And so even they would be kind of like, um, like why are you talking to us? No one talks to us, which is problematic in itself, but um yeah and it's cool to still like I still try to do that with people like when I meet people I ask for their name right away just because like I just want to connect I just want to make that connection even if I'm never going to see them again or if I decide like okay these people I don't want to talk to them anymore I still want to like be intentional about that like you know humanize them so I don't say hi to people as much anymore like randomly on the street and definitely like with stores and stuff people don't look at you, you know, they don't talk to you. It's just, and it's that, that's different in Panama. You know, everyone is like saying hello to you or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, 
I do understand what you're saying about like always like, hey, let's connect, what's your Facebook or whatever. Like I do that too. And yeah, it's kind of weird, but then I'm just like, you know, whatever. And I think people, they'll like it after, like, you know, I think it's kind of weird, but then they're like, okay, yeah, it's, it's fine, so. Yeah, you said how it helped you professionally, but now what was your biggest challenge throughout your service? I think for me, I was very, I was good. Like, I think I had, I, I wasn't fighting service as much as other people were, because I think people fight what happens to them. For me, I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, let's just cope. Let's just go. Um, and I've, I've always told this, I've told this to my friends and stuff. And I feel like Peace Corps strips you down. It takes away so many layers of you, like things that don't matter or it just strips you to your core and then it shows you who you are. And for me, I think it was just my biggest challenge that I could see is just like how little patience I had with myself sometimes or just with the way that life was unfolding I had I and I still kind of still can be very patient but just like I learned to kind of let things kind of flow but sometimes I would be impatient like why isn't this happening now why am I not experiencing something that I feel like I should be experiencing and like forget that I'm actually experiencing something really amazing by just being there and just being at home so yeah I think for me my biggest challenge was just how things sometimes will unfold and I will just be impatient, um, impatient either with myself or because I can be very patient with people and see them like, and we have compassion for them and stuff. But for me, I'm just like, you should do this or you should be doing this or you should have done this. And yeah, that was a bigger challenge. Yeah, and I think that just comes with like U.S. culture where we're just so competitive and we're always like busy, busy, busy. We have to do something. We have to excel at something. So I can completely understand like why you probably had these kind of feelings and we're just like, I didn't reach this milestone. What happened? <laughs> yeah. So for our last question, uh, what was your most bizarre thing that you ate while you're in service? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yes. Um, so one time, <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to paint, paint the scene. I was coming home with my friend. We were coming from the city, um, and my site was is like two and a half, three hours from the city. So I'm probably one of the closest people to the to the capital city. And we were coming home, and we were walking back to my house, and I was passing the family that I always pass, and they were like Chanel, like come, you know, and bring your friend um, Gianna. And so we were like, yeah, okay. We were actually really hungry. So we were like, okay, maybe they're going to give us food. <laughs> and so they gave us food and they they didn't want to tell us what it was, but they ended up telling us it was iguana. And so apparently they had just like caught the iguana, like, I don't know if that day or maybe the day before. And they like went to hunt for it. It wasn't like an iguana on the street or something. It was like in the wild. Yeah, we had it with some, we had it like on a dish with food, like with the side and everything. It wasn't like, here's this, they weren't like giving it on a stick. It was very much like chicken on, you know, on your plate. And so um, I have a photo actually, or a video of like the vertebrae, because I was able to have, I had like the little vertebrae part <laughs> and it was good. It tasted fine. It didn't taste nasty. It was like tasty and it was actually kind of soft. The meat was kind of soft. <laughs> but yeah, that's something bizarre. That's the most bizarre thing I ate because everything else was kind of like normal to me, I guess. It was different, but it wasn't like wild, you know, like, whoa. 
Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I never have tried an iguana. So (laughs) cool, cool moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was all we have for today's interview. We want to say thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. I just want to thank you for giving us your time. And I feel so international because I'm in Colombia, you're in Texas, Selena is in California. So this is like really cool that we have, we get the, the opportunity thanks to technology to reconnect and hear all these stories. So again, thank you so much, Chanel. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. Peace Corps was like a big dream for me. And so I'm glad that even though it finished or it ended very abruptly and not, not at all how I would have ever thought um, it would end. I'm really glad that I was able to be part of it and have that experience, be part of their community. So, yeah, I don't want people to like not join because of maybe the scary stories or like the weird stories <laughs> or that, you know, you could be evacuated because you could be evacuated for something else. You know, it's just so complex. The, the Peace Corps experience is very, very complex. So, so yeah, but thank you for having me. Well, thank you again to our, all, all of our listeners. If anybody wants to be part of this project, you can email us at PeaceCorpsTales, that's T-A-L-E-S, at gmail.com. And uh, have a great day, whatever that day might be. And remember that Peace Corps is the toughest job you will ever love. Velume! Velume! bye bye